Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Swilcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we take a trip back to the 1960s with smoke, green stuff, and some really weird announcements. Some people complain that climate activists are a bunch of smelly hippies. But how can they be when they're so focused on greenwashing? They haven't found a solution for climate change, but scientists are getting warmer. They believe smoke from black summer bushfires cause La Nina. And much like my jokes, it's budget time. Unlike my jokes, it was generally well received by the industry. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, Senior Journalist Bernice Hand, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Hi, Bernice. Hi, Andrew. Some listeners were concerned that John had benched you for some improprieties. He probably did. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back. You've obviously earned your stripes. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Wendy, I've never realised, but your surname is actually like a church bench. Yeah, many people have pointed it out. <laughs> Hello, John. Hi. After your joke about Terry last week, I thought you would be benched. Was that last week? It feels like longer ago. <laughs> Clearly, my next question. Good morning, Terry. You've obviously got revenge plans for John. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, slow and steady when he's not looking. Well, Benice, a law firm is warning insurance companies about the growing dangers of greenwashing. What is greenwashing and why could it be such a problem in our industry? Oh, yeah. So greenwashing, uh, simply put, is a form of corporate PR spin to polish up a company's climate credentials. And uh, companies in Australia, uh, insurers, and just like everywhere else, are under pressure from shareholders, uh, activist ones, and customers to demonstrate they are doing their part for the environment. So uh, they, ha they have to be able to substantiate their green claims or it may constitute a breach of Australian consumer laws. So ASIC is ramping up with surveillance of greenwashing claims. Uh, it made 35 interventions in the nine months too much. And one of them involves taking court action against uh, Mercer superannuation. So uh, ASIC is concerned about greenwashing as, you know, it says it, it could be a practice of uh, misrepresenting the extent to which a financial product or investment strategy is environmentally friendly, sustainable or ethical. So it, it sort of uh, influences a consumer's purchasing decision. So hence, uh, Spark Helmore, the law firm, uh, says insurers may be vulnerable to greenwashing and needs to be uh, very mindful in respect of pledges and uh, representations they have made in respect of climate change policies, solutions and practices. And uh, within the insurance space, most recently on Friday uh, last week, uh, we've seen this at the QBE AGM. So the insurer defended its oil and gas sector underwriting and net zero commitments, you know, following questions from shareholders, including on whether the company could be accused of uh, greenwashing. Yeah. Okay, so this is a little bit more than that sentence you put at the bottom of your email saying consider the environment before printing this out um do you think insurers will be able to resist embellishing their climate credentials as the pressure builds terry oh i don't see insurers playing this sort of game anyway there isn't much point really in in constantly referring to constant to, to climate change and the damage it's doing particularly maybe to shareholders funds if at the same time you're, you're faking your corporate commitment to minimising your, your climate impact. The commitment to work in more environmentally positive ways is, is pretty much established in this industry and has been established over a long time or a long period, I suppose. But as with everything in insurance, there are conflicts over where insurers are investing and who they're insuring. So I think we all need to be pretty careful to keep being as environmentally sensitive as we obviously are. Nice also to see that, that Mark Dopel gave us a 
pat on the back for walking the talk when it comes to this. Well, Wendy, the latest climate research suggests it may have been smoke from the black summer bushfires that led to the flood-inducing triple La Nina that we've just come out of. Well, it's long been known that volcanic eruptions can influence climate. So scientists at the National Centre for Atmospheric Research in Colorado had a look at what effect the black summer bushfires and the, the smoke could have had. So those bushfires were exceptional because of their severity and the emissions. And the study found they kicked off a, a chain of climate impacts. So aerosols that formed from the emissions affected clouds off the coast of Peru, which had affected the air and trade winds with the end result that there was a cooling of the tropical Pacific Ocean where La Niña's form. And that first La Nina wasn't all that well forecast, which could have been because the uh, bushfire impact wasn't really known and factored in there. Well, it looks like we're heading back into El Nino, Terry, which causes the bushfires originally. I'm a bit worried about this. You know, we, we seem to have, be having these guys hanging around in one form or another. And I think it's time we just Australianized them and, and called them Nino and, and Nina. Uh, rather than all this beautiful Spanish we've all learned to speak. Yeah, look, after after several wet seasons, there's plenty of understory growth, and I think it's a bit early for us city types to panic about anything, really, much more than the evaporation rate in the pool. But elsewhere, it's a, it's time to start making a list to be ready for the summer. It, it's also a good time for country and bush brokers to do a ring around, but they don't really i need me to tell them that it's just about getting ready spending this winter getting ready for a summer that you really can't tell is you know what's going to happen well benice asik is taking a life insurer to court over an alleged breach of an unfair contract term what's the background on this story yeah so uh the life insurer in question is uh hcf life and asik has already commenced civil proceedings in the federal court so basically, um, the regulator is alleging that three products sold by the fund, sold by the fund contain pre-existing condition clauses that are basically in breach of the uh, unfair contract term or UCT laws. So according to the regulator, the term purports to deny coverage if a customer did not disclose a pre-existing condition before entering into the contract. And if the medical practitioner forms an opinion that symptoms of the condition existed prior to the customer entering into the contract. And this is even if a diagnosis has not been made. So uh, ASIC is saying that you know, this, the term suggests that HCF Life can deny coverage if the customer was not aware of the uh, pre-existing condition. But then uh, uh, Section 47 of the Insurance Contract Act uh, uh, comes into play. So ASIC is saying that most consumers uh, are likely to be unaware that the clause is unenforceable because uh, Section 47 basically prevents insurers from excluding coverage for non-disclosure of a pre-existing condition where the customer was unaware of the condition when taking out the uh, insurance. Yep. Well, this sounds a little bit like uh, you know finding a needle in a haystack with your eyes closed and your hands tied behind your back. Can we expect more of this kind of action from the regulator, John? Yes, I, th I think we probably can. ASIC Deputy Chair Sarah Court says that the unfair contract terms regime was expanded in April 2021 to include insurance contracts. So ASIC focusing on enforcing that should, should not come as a surprise to insurance companies, she says. They need to be reminded that as providers of financial services, 
potentially unfair terms have to be removed from their standard form consumer contracts. Now, this HCF case isn't the first time ASIC has sued an insurer over an alleged unfair contract term either. Back in April, we reported that ASIC was taking auto and general to court over a contract term, which required its policyholders to notify the insurer, quote, if anything changes about your home or contents. ASIC is of the belief that customers can't practically meet such a broad obligation and it's therefore unfair. Well, it was also budget week last week, John. Did the insurers get what they wanted? Yes and no, I think is the answer to that one. There were certainly some steps in the right direction, but the Insurance Council believes that a lot more is still needed. So we got confirmation of the $200 million that the federal government has committed to spend every year for five years to support risk reduction projects under the Disaster Ready Fund. If you remember, this was something the Insurance Council was pushing before the last federal election, and it got the commitment from the Labour government that it wanted. However, since uh, that election, the Insurance Council has kind of ramped up its demands. It says this now needs to be a 10-year rolling fund that's indexed so it doesn't fall in real terms. Uh, So before this budget, that's what they were calling for, and uh, I guess they didn't get that. So it's a tick for the $200 but... It's a cross for not extending that over a 10-year period. There was also $236 million over 10 years to improve flood forecasting and warnings, which was welcomed by insurers and brokers. $46.5 million for cybersecurity, which will go down well because, as we know, the, the number of cyber attacks is causing a, a rise in premiums there. And there's a tax change, which is far too complicated for me to explain properly, but it relates to ensuring that tax law is aligned with new accounting standards that are coming in and minimising the regulatory burden on general insurers. Come on, John, tell us more about that. (laughs) There are some relevant announcements in the New Zealand budget too, Wendy. Well, yes, um, this week's uh, New Zealand budget Budget will commit $100 million in um, uh, flood protection funding. So they're looking at, you know, practical measures such as levies and things, uh, and they'll they'll work uh, with local communities on on suggestions that uh, could help better protect them from future disasters. And that's part of a billion-dollar budget flood and cyclone recovery package, which includes repairing a lot of the infrastructure that was damaged by the um, North Island floods that affected Auckland and uh, Cyclone uh, Gabriel. And finally, Wendy, Steadfast has announced an extension to the tenure of MD and CEO Robert Kelly. Yeah, so it's just a brief statement released by Steadfast to the ASX. And it just says Robert Kelly has confirmed his intention to continue as MD and CEO and won't tender his required 12-month notice before December 31, uh, 2025. So that's a two-year extension. So previously under his employment arrangements, he'd said he wouldn't be handing in his notice before the end of this year. Well, most people thought Robert was set to hand in his notice at the end of this year, Terry. Are you surprised by the development? No, not at all. You know, Robert and I are of an age, sort of, he's older than me. But have you ever tried keeping up with him? I mean, it's just impossible. Uh, And I'm sure the board at Steadfast is really relieved to have him prepared to extend his time as CEO. He won't be there forever, but he's got a good team on board now. He's, He's built it up over quite a long time. And they really are in there now to, to run the day-to-day business. And that is one complex business. 
I don't understand everything, and I should think that Robert's probably the only person who does. But I reckon we'll see him from here on in focusing a bit more on the future, uh, on the stuff that'll keep Stepfast growing, not not just here either. While the, the team he's gradually built manages the, the day-to-day business, I'm thrilled that he's going to be around a bit longer. Will we hear a similar announcement from you? <laughs> wait and see, Andrew, wait and see. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Bernice Han and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.